Well, good morning. Hope everybody is recovering from Christmas and all the activities of the last few weeks. Have you ever heard anybody say at this time of the year, I'm glad that's over? <clears throat> Terrible Christmas parties, the gatherings you didn't want to attend, house full of people, there's noise, there's, there's the spending, the dread of what the credit card bill is going to communicate to you when you uh, open it and uh, the sigh, that heavy sigh, that it's over. I hope your Christmas wasn't like that. I hope it wasn't. But if it has been, uh, we're going to kind of touch on that today as we wrap up this series called Unto Us, looking at uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, that last name that was used to help paint a picture of who this coming Messiah was going to be. Isaiah knew who Jesus would be 700 years before he came, and he wanted to paint a clear picture for us so that we could know what to look for. One last time, I'd like to ask you to read out loud with us Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. You know, on the screen. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. You know, those names paint a wonderful picture. And that, that promise, the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This morning we're going to be looking at that last name, that Prince of Peace. If you were to think about one word to sum up the month of December, I wonder what you would, what you would say. Is it just joyful? Is it festive? Grateful? meaningful, would you, would you say busy, or, or would, you, would you sound like Charlie Brown and just say, ah. <clears throat> look at your notes, if we aren't careful, the pace of Christmas can rob us of the peace of Christmas, you see, it's not just Christmas that we're, we're looking for this wonderful gift of peace, we're looking for it to be a part of our lives day in, day out. Something that we can just rest in, live there. But it doesn't take long for us to look around and see that this world is greatly in need of peace. Inside our own borders, specifically political, we, we see uh, unrest and the lack of peace. Some of our cities, people live on the edge of unrest. And on an individual level, well, I'm going to let you answer for yourself. According to a study by a company called Healthline, they said 62% of people said their stress level increases during a holiday. 31% of Americans described the holiday season as frantic. Frantic. interesting the studies show and I, I'd really like to see how they're doing these studies and getting some of these statistics they said the turning point from mild to severe stress comes on December 18th are they just sitting there waiting for you to wake up and go oh you look bad <laughs> because here, here's here's some more information and, and Mike did the research for this message uh, it says that it peaks on Christmas Day at 205 
Really? <laughs> Note the crazy eyes and foaming at the mouth. It's 2.05. These people have lost their ever-loving minds. It's not just Christmas, though. According to the American Psychological Association, <clears throat> chronic stress is linked to six of the leading causes of death. Heart disease, cancer, lung ailments, accidents, cirrhosis of the liver, and suicide. An estimated 75 to 90%, depending on what survey you read, of all doctor visits are for stress-related issues. Business Week magazine uh, shared a study, and they asked people, uh, what's the typical response when you ask, how are you doing? They said the number one answer from their survey was, I'm tired. I'm tired. We live worn out. We live in the absence of peace, and yet we've been spending a month looking at this picture of the Messiah and what he would bring and what he would offer us, and it was capped off as the Prince of Peace. They said the 21st century has already been dubbed the century of fatigue. The century of fatigue. I would have thought that would have been a couple of centuries earlier when everybody was farming. <clears throat> then you're actually tired. <clears throat> we allow stress to consume us rather than allowing the prince of peace to calm us. And that's on us. You see, that's a decision. If you recall the Christmas story recorded in the Gospel of Luke, uh, a multitude of angels appeared to the shepherds to announce the arrival of Jesus, praising God, announcing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, they, they found the prophesied Prince of Peace. He'd come. But the question for us 2,000 years later is a very simple one. And for you right now, it may be a very relevant one. Can Jesus bring peace to, to my life? Will this work for me? Now, I want, to I want you to understand what it is that the Bible means when it says peace, because it may be a little differently understood than what we want it to be. The word peace appears over 400 times in the Bible, more than any other word except God. But this morning, if we're going to understand the peace that Jesus came to bring, we need to understand the Prince of Peace brings the peace of God. You probably wouldn't recognize the Greek word for peace, and I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it. <clears throat> but the Hebrew word for peace, maybe some of you know the Hebrew word for peace. Anybody brave enough to shout it out loud? Shalom. Shalom. It refers to a state of wholeness, of well-being, a harmony that affects your, your whole life. Shalom is a spiritually driven sense of tranquility, not a reaction to circumstances. In, in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, we read, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts 
and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, this peace thing is an all-year thing. It's an interesting word, peace. What do you think of when you hear the word peace? In, in my vocabulary, it's affiliated with the word quiet. <laughs> peace and quiet, right? Maybe it's the absence of noise. For some of you, you're thinking it's when your kids aren't home. <laughs> One mother expressed her holiday exhaustion in the family Christmas card. On the front of the card were her three children. <clears throat> Inside the card, it said, I love homemade gifts. Which one would you like? <laughs> right? <clears throat> when we hear Prince of Peace, I think what we want to hear is Jesus saying, I'll fix your problems. I'll take the pressure off. There's no more trouble in this life because now you're a Christian. Now that you're a follower, I'm going to work out all the details. Life will be smooth and easy. And those of you who have been following Jesus for any length of time, know that's not the peace that Jesus promised. Jesus made lots of promises. One of them in John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. It's very interesting. He makes a promise in that verse, but it's not what you might expect. It might not be what you want. He makes the promise, uh, we will have trouble. And trouble can be put into all kinds of categories. For the sake of time, we're going to put it into two. The first one is the heavy kind. It's the kind that comes all at once. It's like a good, quick punch in the throat. You uh, react to it because you have to, right? It's the heavy stuff that happens. It's like a 45-pound weight, right? Anybody work out? It's the big, it's the big plate. When you put that on a bar, it, you feel the impact. You can put little five-pounders on the sides and you, you don't even really notice, Right? But you throw a 45-pound plate on that bar, you feel the difference. This is the kind of trouble that you feel the pressure from immediately. It's like being fired from a job or, or going into bankruptcy. It's like a family member that's being abused or the overwhelming pain of loneliness. When a spouse walks out on you, that's the kind of stuff that feels heavy. And those are the kinds of things that usually people respond pretty well because they see it because it's so big. A lot of the pressure that we feel is not from the big stuff. It's from the little stuff. It's from the little five-pounders. You look at the weight and you say, I can handle that. Until you've stacked five-pounder on top of five-pounder. It's like the, uh, a friend of mine was a youth pastor in Las Vegas. And uh, they took their kids climbing in the mountains. And every time that they slowed down, he would pick up a rock and put it in this girl's backpack that was in front of him. <laughs> like, Chris, you're, you're the devil, man. <laughs> and they just real subtly, you know, he's like, it was such a challenge because, you know, you, you get a few in there, and if you drop it wrong, it, they, she, you, she'd hear the clack, you know, the rocks. And, get, and she gets to the top of this hill and just exhausted, you know, she runs track, and she's just whipped. 
what is the deal? And she pulls her backpack off, and, <laughs> and then she killed Chris. It's <clears throat> that little stuff adds up. The big stuff is a punch in the throat, and you pay attention to that. You sit down, you try and gather your wits. You maybe have somebody come and check your throat, and you know, I'm getting air. You respond to that. It's the little stuff that sneaks up on us, that overwhelms us all of a sudden because we just can't figure out, why do I feel like this? Where did my peace go? Psychologists call that stress contamination. It's not just one major stress or anxiety. It's the the weight of all those little things that didn't get any attention, that didn't get any response, that didn't get any love or, or, or care. You just carry it. You're surrounded by a fussy baby or, or lots of children who won't get along. They're touching me. <clears throat> Your cell phone alerts are going crazy. Man, turn that stuff off. Bills are overdue. Your car breaks down. The house needs repaired. There's all those things just begin to overwhelm you, and soon we find that ourselves we find ourselves straining under the pressure and weight of life. Well, here's the truth: God won't prevent trouble from coming. Let me say that again. God won't prevent trouble from coming. Heavier light. Life happens. That may not be very comforting, but it's the truth. And I'd rather tell you a hard truth than to give you a false promise. D did you notice that passage in John 16, 33? I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. See, Jesus came to be peace in the midst of chaos not to create peace through the reorganization of chaos if you're hoping that Jesus is going to take away your problems and replace them with peace you might be hoping in vain you might be frustrated you might even feel like God is letting down on his side of the bargain but Jesus didn't come to take away our problems and replace them with peace he came to be peace in the midst of our problems he didn't come to trade our chaos for calm. He came to be calm in our chaos. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You see, the promises isn't for an easy life with no troubles. The promise is for strength to carry the load. You know when you get strong? It's not when you sit in your chair. You get strong when you do work. You want to grow your faith? Check your attitude. Trust the Lord that every situation that happens to you has been filtered through his love. And he says, before it lands on you, me and you can do this. Me and you can do this. The Christmas story says the Prince of Peace came to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet unto a path of peace. So when we're feeling like we're 
groping around in the darkness, looking for answers, when you feel like life is in the shadow of death, Jesus steps in to guide you to peace. Here's some of the ways that he does it. One is through worship. It might be here. It might be my worship service is typically in the woods. No offense, Drew. (laughs) I go to the quiet of the woods and I sit there until I can't hear anything but birds and bugs. And then I refresh and restore. Some of it is being here in a place like this today that you show up really not sure of what you're doing. Maybe it's just habit and you came out of a sense of duty or obligation and somebody saw you and you spoke to them and you hugged them and that was the thing that that person needed. It happens when we come together in worship. When we ascribe to God the greatness that he's earned, it changes us. Another way that we find that peace is time with Jesus every day. We talk here at MCC a lot about reading your Bible, getting that going, getting it started. Once you start reading your Bible, you need to move from reading to reflecting to think about what it says, what it means, what do I have to do with this, what do I need to do with this. And I want to respectfully respond to what some of you are thinking right now. You don't not have time to do this. This is the thing that will change the way you feel. The number one growth catalyst for a Christ follower is get in God's word. Another one is is music. Have you ever had music calm your nerves? It can be such a great gift. Be aware of the message that the music is communicating because music has all kinds of messages. And when you're looking for peace, don't play what I call angry music. You know what I mean? Play, play, play music that makes you feel something good. Play music that's got a message that's positive and that would line up with what God says in his word. And ask him to speak to you. There's one more thing I want you to understand about this prince of peace. Prince in Hebrew is sar, S-A-R. So Prince of Peace in Hebrew is Sar Shalom. So when you think of Prince, you might think of some crazy, you know, guy on a white horse. You might think of, you know, the Prince of Wales. I don't know what you're thinking of. But in the Bible, it's more like Caesar, right? Caesar, S-A-R. It's the same etymology, the word. In Slavic languages, they spell it C-Z-A-R, right? Are you getting the picture? The one who manages peace does so with authority. Somebody who has authority over peace because it's his. He owns it. So when we read Luke 2, 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, it's offered to everyone but not everyone chooses it right not everyone chooses it some common ways that Jesus makes peace available do you know if you have God's favor resting upon you 
Have you surrendered to the Prince of Peace? Have you let him lead? The Prince of Peace came to bring the peace of God. That is possible because the Prince of Peace came to bring peace with God. You won't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Job chapter 22, verses 21-22 says, Submit to God and be at peace with Him. In this way, prosperity will come to you. Accept instruction from His mouth and lay up His words in your heart. I hope you can hear this. The reason some of us don't feel at peace with God is because even though we're in church today, we haven't submitted to Him. We haven't surrendered to Him. We haven't recognized positionally where we stand before a holy God who created us and everything in this world. In the beginning, God created us to have a relationship with him. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And somewhere along the line, we blew it. Our sin caused separation. A barrier between us and God and in the beginning, it was, it was a Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, a perfect world. But their sin started the problem. I want to remind you, my problem with God isn't that Adam or Eve sinned. My problem with God is that I sinned. I still do. And our sin causes separation from God. So most people try to fix this by doing better. I'll be a good boy. I'll watch my mouth. I'll be nice. I'll play by the rules. I'll go to Christmas Eve service and I'll give a gift to somebody who I don't really want to give a gift to. I'll be, I'll be nice. But none of us can be good enough. And we find ourselves still falling short. The reason we're trying to fix this separation is because the Bible says that if we don't fix it, it continues into eternity, and the Bible calls that hell. And hell is that eternal separation from God's presence, his love, and his grace. The good news of Christianity is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to take care of our sin problem. He didn't do that in the manger. He did it on the cross. He actually built a bridge for you and me to have access to God again. The Bible says there are only three things you have to do to get it. You need to believe it's true. John 3.16 says that God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you and if you believe you'll be saved. We need to believe it's true. We need to repent. We need to tell God I've blown it. Admit it. Own it. Recognize that my ways haven't gotten me what I wanted or what I need. Acts 3, verses, uh, Acts 3, verse 19 says, Repent and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. So we need to believe it. It's true. We need to, to repent, to change our direction. We need to be baptized. Acts 2.38 tells us the, as a physical sign of that decision that we're making, we need to be baptized. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Last Sunday, six people made that wonderful decision to stop trying on their own, 
and let God lead. Maybe that's your next step. I don't know about you, but I love that we live in a place that bears the fingerprints of God. December 17th, 1903, 107 years, nine days ago, Orville and Wilbur completed the first flight in their homemade aircraft. 59 seconds. They were ecstatic. Can you imagine? As a part of their excitement, they rushed a telegraph to their sister here in Dayton, Ohio. That their message simply read, first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, home Hope to be home by Christmas. The sister was so excited about their success, she relayed the, the telegram to the newspaper editor. The following morning, the paper read, popular local bicycle merchants, home for the holidays. <laughs> I think the editor missed the point. Their homecoming wasn't the news. The history-making news was that the flight of a, an aircraft took place. It changed history. It's continuing to change history. And people who saw it and heard the news missed it. I don't want that to happen to you as we move past Christmas. I don't want you to miss out on the significance of what we've just celebrated. Because it's not meant to be a part of the year. It's supposed to be the place that we live. It's not a holiday where people come together with their families. It's not a holiday where your office throws a party. It's not a holiday where people give each other gifts. It's way more than that. It's a celebration that in the midst of stress and pressure, the heavy things, the bag full of light things, the weight that you just don't want to bear, you don't have to bear. Because that tiny helpless baby grew to be a man, a man's man. And he lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death and he conquered the grave. We celebrate by going back to that place and seeing an empty tomb. Nobody else, no other religion has one of those. Romans 5.1 says, We have peace with God because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why Isaiah 9-7 says it will never end. There's a nativity scene that was built in a churchyard. During the night, an abandoned dog was looking for a, a place to be comfortable and protected. And some folks found the dog. They, they said it was, it was so sweet they couldn't rouse the dog and, and run him off because he was smart enough to know where to go. And friends, he chose baby Jesus as his comfort. And he got to stay there all night. Listen, when you make peace with God, you receive the peace of God. The Bible says that it passes understanding. That just means it, you can't make sense of how you feel so fine in the midst of sometimes chaos. Because your, your state, your heart 
isn't a response to the circumstances that are around you. You have rest. Because Jesus gave it to you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we love you. And we want to know more of you. And so God, I pray that you would pull us close to your your word. That you would shape our hearts by the people and the experiences that we have. That you would call us home to you. That we would trust you to do what you said you could do. That we'd be encouraged by the stories that are surrounding us in this place, right here in this room. People who have loved you and trusted you, and you've carried them through tragedy and chaos, and you've made them strong. And so God, help us to want that. We pray it in his mighty name.